0: I'm trying to get on to join me.
1: Hello, hello. Hello and welcome. Hi, Amanda. Your side days, Ronnie. Oh. (laughs) Be
0: quiet. I don't know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. (laughs) That tells you how good my day is going.
1: (laughs) You're alive. It's all good if you're sideways. I remember my first live I ever did when I first started my, you know, business. The entire live was sideways. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) Something crazy
0: like that. Anyway,
1: I posted Story of my
0: life. What are you going (laughs) to do?
1: So today we are chatting about how we kind of embraced or are embracing the anti-diet culture. Like why, what is kind of our own story and getting there? Because our stories are very different. And often like the types of stories we are sharing are, are those who've been stuck in the diet culture and how it's framed and changed their lives. The thing is like, you don't have to have been through the diet culture in order to be anti-diet culture. Cause like from my experience, that wasn't my experience, but I still like passionately am against it. And it's because of, you know, what I see, but also getting to the crux of maybe why, what happened in our own lives that led us to this. So that if you're wanting to, to avoid certain things, or maybe embrace certain things in your life so that you create, in, within your own family, you create more of like, you know, uh, a body positive household or, you know, you don't want to accidentally trigger some body negativity in your own house, you know, which is often linked with, with diets and, you know, diet language and all of that. So that's kind of, would you agree that that's kind of like where we want to go today?
0: Yeah, I think that it's important to talk for each of us to share, you know, how we got here because, you know, you don't have a long history of dieting. So, you know, from the outside, people may think like, "What the why does she care?" And then, you know, for me, I was a diet success, right? <laughs> like I was somebody dieting worked for. It worked incredibly well. I made a living from, you know, helping other people diet, and so I think from the outside, it's um I think it's an interesting conversation to find out or to share, you know, how you got here, and how I got here, given, you know, we're kind of probably two people that most people wouldn't expect to be so anti-diet. So I just, yeah, I just think that's an interesting conversation.
1: So who wants to go first? Do you want to start? Sure. So I, I, I give, I guess I'll give like a short history in the type of house that, that I grew up in, because I do believe that, you know, we are affected by our environment. And, in, in all of the studies and books that I've read, often our body image is inherited from our mother, grandmother, mm-hmm. care, whoever that is. I mean, it could be from a father as well. It just tends to be from a mother, whether you have one in your life or, you know, you maybe you don't have a, maybe it's some other figure who they grew up, you know, in like the peak of diet culture and, you know, and it's not, it's not to bash them. It's not to say what they did was wrong. It's yeah. just that that they knew, right? But yeah, we absolutely. And so, the type of house I grew up in, we didn't really talk about bodies. Um, we didn't talk about weight. We didn't label food as good or bad. I mean, my mom was a nurse, so you know, obviously in like the healthcare profession, she knew that certain foods, and um, you know, like the food groups. That's kind of what mm-hmm. we grew up: our fruits and our vegetables. It was about balanced meals, right? So mm-hmm. you. you I mean, I grew up eating Mr. Noodle every single day. I mean, this was before we started to pay attention to what actually are we putting into our bodies and how it makes us feel. I mean, um, you know, so I I didn't like vegetables. It's funny, I didn't like vegetables until I got pregnant with my son when I was 20. Then I started craving vegetables. So I grew up, like, not eating a whole lot of vegetables. But, you know, so my parents always made sure, like, we had home-cooked meals. We, you know, I felt like I never felt shame for what I ate or what I didn't eat. It was very much though so, like, you need to eat your supper, then you can have a treat. But treats were never withheld from me. I didn't have to earn it other than, like, I needed to make sure, like, I ate my my meal first, so then I could have the treat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is I, I grew up in a very thin body. So my whole life, if anything, I, I mean, I always had people comment on my body because I've been shamed because of it. This is nowhere near that shaming. Like, I do not want to try and identify my experience and compare it to that, but I just want to be honest, like people just comment on people's bodies constantly, no matter what they look like, right? Yeah, and I
0: think that that's an important point to make because Mm -hmm. so often when you're in a larger body, you think that you're alone in that struggle and that, that everybody else must have it so easy. Um, And certainly there's a lot of privilege that comes from being in a smaller body, but it doesn't let you off the hook from getting negative comments about your body by any stretch.
1: Yeah, and so it was, you know, I've been told like, Amanda, your face is so pretty, but your body's like, meh, (laughs) I, You know, I I had comments and I remember at one point, I'm like, I just wish I could gain weight. I wish Mm -hmm. I could have curves, right? And you know, so I know what somewhat of the feeling is like to to feel that like people are commenting on my body, it's not good. I, I should hmm. change.
0: I have to fix it.
1: Right. But it was never like the top of mind. Um, if anything, I guess where I can kind of equate my own experience was with my birthmark and just feeling shame about like I have a giant brown birthmark on my leg that I recognized at a very early age that I looked different than everybody else. And I wanted to hide it. I was like, I can't wait till I'm an adult and I'll pay somebody to remove this. And you know, it wasn't until I started my business simply stylish that I started working with so many women and you know, my background is, is in behavioral analysis. So when I start working with women and they're struggling in their wardrobe asking why i want to get to the root of like why and it's because a lot of them it was with the relationship with their body yeah and so it wasn't until i started diving into that i'm like i feel shame about my birthmark and like mm-hmm. who gave that to me nobody gave i gave it to myself it was me nobody had ever talked about my birthmark and nobody's ever said anything about it it was my interpretation and i finally had to make the decision like do I want to continue to hold on to this belief and recognizing that I have the power to change that? Doesn't mean it's easy, but I know yeah. I have it. Consciously yeah. made the decision that I want to radically accept every part of me. And, and so that was my own journey. And that's kind of how I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm constantly seeing women hide, feel shame, shrink. Emotional and verbal abuse towards themselves, mm-hmm. language directed towards themselves, and I'm like, this has to stop. Like, yeah. you know, it's all you know. We 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 tr- we cry woman empowerment, but how can you cry, you know, women equality, women empowerment when we still heavily believe in and. Inc- incorporate diet culture into our everyday lives. Like to me, it's the opposite. Like you oh, so, yeah. want more power for yourself and more power for the other women when you're so busy trying to shrink yourselves and you hate mm-hmm. yourself talking horribly to yourself. And again, I don't want to blame the, the person for it. Yeah, It's the system. And yeah. so that's why we started this so that women can kind of wake up. It's not to shame or blame the women this was given to them. This was them. But recognize, you know, if this is the system, and if you continue to hold it up, it's going to continue to perpetuate and we have to break it at some point. So, you know, acknowledging that, you know, I do have, you know, privilege living in a thin body. So I was never felt the pressure to ever be on a diet. I never had doctors, I never had my parents. I should lose weight. I never had friends commenting, you know, so I, I had that privilege of of living in a body that society deemed as, as healthy and as good, as worthy and as beautiful. So I wasn't constantly getting those messages. Doesn't mean I didn't hear it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's bombarded in marketing and shame marketing everywhere. Right. But freedom is like my core value.
0: Yeah.
1: Freedom is my core value and it's always been my core value when i looked back you know at a young age like nobody tells me what to do like i will back like do yeah. not like the idea of food restriction makes me rage like when i started having digestion problems and i contacted a, a naturopathic doctor and then like i don't want to do food elimination like it was like i could feel the anxiety in my body just yeah of not being able to eat the foods that i love so like diets don't appeal to me cuz nobody's going to tell me what to do. I am my own boss. I get yeah. to decide best for me. However, I do recognize though like like if we're having gaps in our knowledge about what food makes us feel good and what's not, I think it's okay to like educate yourself. What what is it about this food that might not my body might not be liking? Like food you know, and how our body reacts to food tells us information. And if I'm lacking that information, I think it's okay to seek out that education, but it doesn't mean it's a diet (laughs) just because your body's changing, your body's reacting to things. The solution isn't always to restrict or to go on a diet. It's not not always like the first thing you should be going for. And also recognizing, sorry, I'm like on a rant. (laughs) That When women you know, are gaining weight <coughs> or they are binge eating or they're emotional eating, again, the diet is not the solution because it's not the problem. You know, the core issue is something that you're feeling probably with maybe your mental health or emotional health and you're going to food to fix it. It's almost like when you, have, um, when you see a lot of, and I see it with a lot of people who struggle with their mental health and can't get help or support for it, they turn to drugs, right? Yeah they're like just looking at anything to survive. And so yeah. some people use food to do that and trying to fix it through food isn't gonna fix it, right? Like, well,
0: yeah, sorry. one of the things that I always tell clients because most people don't understand this is that dieting creates a lot of those problems. Like the diet itself, the act of restricting creates a lot of the problems that we have with binge eating and even emotional eating and all of those sorts of things. It full on creates the problem. So here you are, this is an emotional eater or binge eater or whatever. And so you're putting on weight because of it. So you think, well, how do I fix it? Well, I have to fix it to diet. I have to diet, that's how I fix it. Cause that's what we're taught we're supposed to do. So you try to fix it through the diet cause you think you're doing the right thing. And then it just contr- it contributes to building those patterns that keep you stuck in that cycle. And then it just, it just fuels self-loathing and it feels, fuels distrust and it just keeps fueling all of those, those patterns of eating behaviors. It creates it a lot of times.
1: So I I did tell you, like, I have been on one diet and it wasn't to lose weight. Um, I told you my husband, one of his staff members, you know, was into bodybuilding and it was when the keto diet first you know, Mm -hmm. really bad diet was the keto diet. And so he was on it and they were you know all the guys were talking about at work and so my husband like bought a book and start doing research and he's like i think i want to start doing this and the thing is like when we eat we eat what we eat together like we're not i'm not making separate meals my husband didn't have time to make his own meal so it was like basically if my husband was going to do this i was going to do it with him and he did explain like the science behind it and for my logical brain it made logical sense and so we started to do it because we thought like, oh, the science makes sense. Mm-hmm. We'll be healthier. We'll have more energy and all of this because of it. And so we did do like the lazy man keto diet for a year. And you're like, holy crap, you actually lasted a year. most <laughs> yeah, <those> people don't. <laughs> the reason why it did was again, like I hate restriction. And so I was able to find low carb everything to replace what we were you know what we would have to have restrict so I found like anyways I'm not going to start promoting low-carb stuff but I found a replacement and so it didn't really disrupt our lives a whole lot however like we eventually went off it like it was yeah. it is sustainable it's not sustainable it's not the amount of prep the amount of thought and I missed certain foods even if I did have replacement it's for some and you just they don't last because it's not sustainable. It's just it's just not sustainable, especially money. Yeah. Like it was so much more expensive. And so we talked about our last live. It's like, there's so much privilege when it comes to diets. And it's what, you know, makes it more of an oppressive system. But anyway, you know, it only lasted a year. And then we we went off and we gained, we gained the weight back, and so now I feel like like where my body is at and the size it's at, it's like this is my set point. This is where my body actually wants to be in order to feel good and happy, and with the amount of activity I want in my life and with mm-hmm. the so I feel good. doesn't mean I still don't sometimes get those you know that messaging still affects us, whether we mm-hmm. or not. You know, we've had like decades to practice this type of thinking. And so it, it is, I don't have to keep it top of mind like I used to. It, it was an everyday practice to, you know, radically accept myself the way it's at, not judge it, um, become aware of my own anti-fat diet, uh, anti-fat bias in my own life and in my own thinking and trying to mm-hmm. uncover. It. Um, and it's a journey and it's like a muscle that you have to practice every day, but I don't have to practice it. Now it's just more of like depending on maybe where my mental or stress, my mental health is, or where my stress is, or maybe how bloated my body is that day. And if like my body's not feeling good, then it tends to like affect it's not, oh, I just feel, uh, and it's, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's kind of my story and how I got there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's
0: so, it's so interesting. Um, I'm still amazed that you ended up being able to actually stay on that for a year. That's that in itself is a major feat. Um, Yeah. So mine, mine is different. (laughs) Mine is quite different. Um, I grew up with a mother who was always very thin. Um, I grew up with a mother who always had what I consider to be the perfect body for a woman, you know, tiny waist, you know, nice shapely hips, all of that. Yeah, and I was born into this sorry? Idea. Yeah, like, the ideal. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: not real, but oh,
0: yeah. Well, on my mom, it was like that was her body. Uh, you know, like she, she has, she just has a beautiful shape, and for her, that was that was that was her. Um, but that however, was... what I didn't oh. know at the time was that she was purposefully not eating a lot. Hmm. I didn't know that at the time. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know that until, like, last year. She shared it on social media because she's been getting more involved in this work that I'm doing. And she actually shared on social media some of of the stuff that she had around food. I never knew that. I never knew that she purposefully restricted. I knew that she was going to aerobics classes a million times a week. I knew that she was – I knew that she ate weird. (laughs) (laughs) I just, she was always obsessed with like Coke and candy, chocolate. She was always obsessed with that stuff. Now I understand why, because she was trying to restrict the rest of the time, right? Um, She also had a calendar on, in her bathroom, a calendar lived on the counter where she recorded her weight one to three times a day. She still has all of those calendars, by the way. She can tell you what she weighed at 3 p.m. on August 14th, 1974, <laughs> I guarantee it. It's become like so, a part of life. Yeah, it was just part of life. Mom's weight. This is, this is what mom weighs, and <laughs> she's just recording it all the time. Um, and she was also one of these people, and this is not to criticize her by any stretch of the imagination. Again, like, it's not about blame or anything else. It's just about recognizing where this stuff comes from, because my mom... Like, I learned it from my mom. She learned it from her mom. Her mom learned it from her mom, right? Like, it it just gets keeps getting passed down. So it's not about blame, but from my mom, I learned that weight gain was a fate worse than death, that weight gain was a sign of um, letting yourself go and being too lazy to do anything about it or fix the problem or all of that stuff that we all learned. That's what I learned about weight. And I was always very, very small, but... Um. I had a very different shape from my mother. It was a very square shape, so a thick waist. Just, I just have a naturally thick waist. And I kept waiting for my body to change to look like hers. I thought, you know, when I hit puberty or something, it will. When I become an adult, it, will. it
1: never did. It just, I've always had this square shape.
0: So it's, around...
1: it's, I, I, it's about yes. your skeleton. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. It's just my body. It's just the way my well, body is. There's nothing wrong with it. No, no, but it's like... I just want to point that out because one of the, the reasons why a lot of women are like oh manda i don't want help in my wardrobe because my body is going to change i plan to lose weight i yeah. plan the size of my body and what i tell them your body shape is not depending on size yeah <laughs> It has to actually do with your skeletal structure and so most instances i mean there's always outliers most instances whether your body gains or loses weight, your body shape isn't actually going to change. So, like, well,
0: I actually never... did manage to change my shape, but more on that in a bit because it almost killed me. Right. So, I think that's a really good point to make. And it's going to tie in really well in a second to where I'm going with this because, um, and I've always had more of a stocky build. Like, I, I have, I don't, well, I hate the phrase big boned, but I'm, I'm, I always describe it like a, I'm a workhorse. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm built like, you know, you're yeah. not it's kind of a thing. I'm not delicate, no, I'm not delicate. <laughs> and I never liked that either. I, I liked, you know, I, I, my mother has like the tiny little bone structure and she's, you know, I, so I, I just never was. And so as soon as, you know, teens hit and I started putting on a couple pounds, it was horrifying to me in, and I internalized it all. Nobody ever said anything to me about my body. And I think this is a really important point too, because you don't have to have people necessarily pick on you for your body to internalize the messages you see people say to everybody else about their bodies or about everybody else's bodies. Because you see somebody, like I would see you know, my mother or somebody else, oh, it's so sad how so-and-so gained so much weight. They're not talking about me, but then immediately my brain goes, oh my God, what are they saying about me behind my back, right? Like you, you internalize it even if it's not directed at you. So I internalized it all and I started, Um, In my early teens, I started Atkins because I wanted to get skinnier. I was, you know, 115, 16 pounds. I was not, didn't matter, didn't matter because it didn't like me. It didn't like me. I saw fat on my body because it didn't like me. And I needed the validation of just trying to get smaller. Atkins, of course, I've talked about this a million times. I won't go into a whole thing. It started 20 years of weight gain (laughs) just because The cycle, that's what happens when you go on a diet, you're more likely to gain weight than you are to lose weight over time, right? So, um, yeah, so uh, in my early thirties, self-loathing had hit a new low. I was completely and totally hated myself with everything in me, and I was completely desperate. And I started... um, You know, I did the this time I'm serious, I'm going to do it kind of a thing, and that year it stuck. It actually stuck. I took it, I got the weight off, and it stayed off. And I thought that that losing weight would solve the weight problem. I thought it would solve the weight and the food problem.
1: But you viewed yourself.
0: Yeah, but I I thought it would solve the problem. But what I didn't realize was that. That wasn't the problem. The weight struggle and the food issues, all of that stuff was the symptoms. So losing weight didn't do anything to fix it. And I got down to my, quote, goal weight, but I still hated myself and my body. And then I was just obsessed with putting the weight back on. Like I was terrified to put it back on. So here I am obsessed about food all the time. I'm still hating myself when I look in the mirror, no matter what size I was. So I decided I would compete in figure competitions.
1: Oh, let's, let's take it. <laughs> What? You had to take it to another level.
0: Oh yeah, well because you get to the goal and you don't you don't get that feeling you want. So then what? Well, I'll get a trophy. That'll fix it. I destroyed my body. I full on destroyed my body and I I built curves. I did. I changed the shape of my body. I built curves. But it was 2 to 3 hours a day of training. It was eating in ways that I don't like it, it makes me throw up to just think about it. And it was eating in ways that contributed to binge eating and bulimia, like full on cause to binge eating and bulimia in me and, um, blood, sweat, tears, pain all the time. Like my body hurt all the time. It was torture. And I became a trainer in 2010 and I start like you, when you start hearing stories of other women. So 2010, I started training other, other women, and I'm still sort of in the middle of it myself. I'm still in the middle of trying to perfect my body so that I can be finally be happy and all of that. And at that stage, I was still fairly bulimic. I was definitely still binging. I was still fairly bulimic. And I was, um, you know, really starting to struggle with depression symptoms and anxiety because you can't be bulimic and not have some depression. Like I I put it anyway, that is, it's a horrible way to live. So anyway, Um, so my mental health was going downhill fast it was going downhill bad it was going downhill fast i ended up hospitalized for the, an eating the order, eating disorder at one point um you know there were many nights i thought i was gonna eat myself to death like it was really really bad so i had to find my way free from it i had to find healing and it took me a really long time but eventually I realized that the struggles that I was in with, with my body and with food and all of that stuff, it had nothing to do with um, my body and it had nothing to do with food. It was all about me and that's where I had to fix it. And as I was doing this, as I was going through this process myself and looking for answers to sort of, you know, fix my own issues, fix, I use that term loosely. But as I'm looking for solutions for my own struggles, I'm watching the women that I'm working with going through exactly the same things I am not to the degree, they didn't compete in figure, maybe they weren't bulimic, but to just varying degrees, the exact same things I was, every one of them, like all of, they're coming to me. And and, you know, when I became a trainer, I thought information was the problem. And this is what most people believe. Most people believe, that information is the problem, weight gain is the solution, or weight loss is the solution, I mean, to health and happiness, and information is the problem. We just have to motivate people enough to get there and then inform them how to do it. What I started recognizing with the women that I was working with and in myself, information was not the problem. (laughs) There's not a woman alive that doesn't know how to lose weight. I'm sorry. Like, pretty much every woman you meet now knows how to do it every woman you meet has some idea of what foods are good and what foods are bad and how her body reacts to different things that she's eating. Information is not the problem I realized. And every, almost every single woman I worked with, I was also hearing, I was hearing them come to me and saying things like, um, I've been dieting my whole life. They're, they're women in their fifties, sixties, I'm, I'm, I've been dieting my whole life, but I'm so stupid. I'm heavier than ever and the ways that they would talk about their bodies. And so as I'm searching for solutions for my my own issues, I'm also digging into, okay, how can I help these women better? Because I'm giving them the answers, but they're not sticking to them. So how can I better help these women too? Because I didn't want to just be one more thing that they failed. And then I started falling into some um, some of the research around why dieting is like, specifically the fact that dieting is failing most people. Like 95 to 98% of people who diet regain all of the weight that they lose and up to two-thirds of them weigh up to 11 pounds more than when they started within five years. They don't teach you that in personal training school. (laughs) They don't teach you that. (laughs) So when I started you know, finding this stuff and, and all of this, this information and these studies and really understanding why, because again, like you said, I was the same way. Like I was in therapy for a year or so for the eating disorder and every week or every month, because I only saw him once a month. So every month I would go to him and I would say, why? Why am I like this? I, like I always just felt like understanding the why, if I just knew why, then I could get busy fixing it. So while I was training others and working on my own stuff I started digging into learning the
1: why. Then can I just interject for a sec? Absolutely. It, the whole system is designed to blame the person. 100%. You're not doing it right. 100%. Or wrong. Never once do people question, "Oh maybe is the information Yeah. Maybe it's the system. Maybe, maybe there's
0: something uh, wrong with the system.
1: Yeah. Maybe, so, maybe it's the, it, like what you're telling me is bullshit and it doesn't work. It's not my problem. This is not, this is a problem that you've given to me and yeah. you're trying on the solution that never actually works. Yeah. And now make me feel bad because it's not working for me. Yeah. And I just.
0: One of the biggest problems with that, and, and you're right, but one of the biggest problems with that is, is that it does work if you can stick to it. Mm-hmm. The problem is most people can't. Mm-hmm. And we, when, you, when you go into these things and you start learning about how to change bodies and all of this stuff, you don't learn why most people can't. They don't teach you that. They teach you that people are lazy and they need more motivation and it's your job to motivate them. That's what they teach you. So that's what you believe. And you believe you're doing a good thing by trying to motivate them to stick to their plans. So the people behind the system, the people that are promoting the system, you know, like I was and, and other people that are still in that, in that world, I don't, they're not actively trying to do it on purpose. They're, they really think they're doing the right thing, but, but th- because they're just not learning. And because you can get in such an echo chamber in that world of just blaming the person, oh, well, people are lazy. Maybe they'll come back to me eventually, you know, when, when clients quit and stuff. You can get in such an echo chamber in that world that you don't start looking for other answers. But I did, because I've always naturally just been curious and asked questions and wanted to know things. So for me, um, it was really about understanding, like, why is everybody having so much trouble with this? And I, and at the time, you know, I'm learning all of this stuff and I'm still actively working with people who want to lose weight. And, and I'm learning all of this stuff and I'm going like, holy shit, like, what do I do with this? Like, I can't keep doing, like, I can't keep training people like this. What do I do? And, you know, there was a long time there where I was a little bit scared because, well, what do I do then if I'm not doing this? Like, how do I help people? And so, you know, I really had to find my way out of that. And, you know, again, it's not that those things don't work. And so when I say I'm anti-diet, and when I say they don't work, I'm not saying that they never work. Because they do, they do work. It worked for me, they do work for some people, but the percentage is like 2%. (laughs) So when something isn't working for 98%, and the 98% for whom it's not working are coming out of it with significant mental, physical, and emotional health um, you know, issues as a result of it, then I think there's a bigger conversation that we have to have and we have to look at the system and go, yeah, you know what? We've really got to rethink this paradigm. Sure, it's, it, it can work for 2% maybe. And that's great for them. But what about the other 98? What about the other 98? And for me, I think that the other 98 matter a whole lot more. You know, if if 98% of people in a class failed the test, you wouldn't blame the people.
1: The test, there's something wrong with the test.
0: You'd start looking at the test and being like, okay, wait a second, like, and that's what I did. I started looking at the test. And I started understanding what was wrong with the test. Yeah. 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 So, again, you know, I was one of the ones that it worked for. But that's the other thing. That's the other point I want to make. And I, I talk about this a lot with my own story, too, because how are we defining success? I was a diet success, I was a raging success. I'm on stage, I'm getting trophies, everybody's celebrating me for how amazing I am because I'm working out all the time and I got so healthy and lost all this weight. I was a raging bulimic who was eating candy out of the garbage can. Like it was bad, raging depression, horrible panic attacks, like the whole nine. And I was a diet success. So I think that's another thing that we have to, we have to talk about as well is how are we defining success and success at what cost? Because is that really success? Sure, my body was smaller, but was I happier? Was I healthier? God, no.
1: I wanna ask a question. So, you know, I, I most people, I've told you before, I'm, I'm not really loving Facebook anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, <laughs> Instagram? Well, I can, I could choose to, but I would unfriend the majority of people on Facebook, and I would probably severely offend most of them. But I have, so mostly there's women on, you know, that I'm friends with on Facebook. And of course, like every third one is on a diet and promoting their diet and saying how much it's changed their life and how much happier they are and how much unhappy they were before because their psychology and, and all of that. And so like I have those things always popping up going, okay, she's saying she's feeling better. She's saying she's happier. Yeah. So, you know, those are measures. That's such a great point of success. Right. But then I question, I I try and peel back the layer of, is it because she feels like because her body is smaller, she's morally superior now. She hate herself before because she was taught that fat was bad. And that fat is lazy. So she associated that meaning yeah. by her body where it might not actually have been true. If she just learned to love herself in every size of her life, she may not have judged herself at that point. But because that was given to her and she agreed with it, she did feel like shit before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Did feel bad. Mm-hmm. And then she was able to shrink her body then she's like, oh, I'm now fitting the mold yep. now. I'm so now I do feel better because visually I don't have this extra weight on me and I'm not judging myself like I used to. So I was like, I'm not in her. I'm not in her body. I don't know this, but I question that. I, I yep. want to try back that layer of like, why do you feel better? Is it just because you feel like you've, yep. your body here because of what it looks like? Or do you actually do feel better? Do you feel more yep. relief? do yeah. you feel you're more worthy because of how you look then there is a possibility that yes like if she was the way she was eating the way she wasn't moving and all that and she had no energy um and now because she's changed what she's ate she's changing the, you know, maybe her activity label, le- level and she is feeling better so now she's like well this all works yes. this all. so what do you what are your thoughts on that
0: so oh that's such a great point I was one of those. So I'm a raging bulimic on one on one side here raging bulimic who's eating myself to death at home alone. But publicly on social media sharing all the photos of my magnificent transformation and bragging about how amazing I feel because you do. So when you start getting stronger, when you start getting in a body that's stronger and more fit, um, you yes, you want you absolutely and smaller, you absolutely feel morally superior. And um, I don't like admitting that. It's not an easy thing to admit. Most people probably wouldn't admit that. But it's the reality. Um, mm-hmm. It's the reality. It just is. That's how you feel because everybody is telling you you're morally superior. How can you not feel that way? Everybody puts you up on a pedestal. When you do, they put you on a pedestal and so you go, oh yeah, you're right. And so when you're getting praised, you feel amazing. Humans love validation, that's what we crave. And when you're not able to give it to yourself, you need it from other people. So when you lose weight, I mean, nobody is validated more in our culture than people that lose weight and start doing the gym and all of this stuff. They are praised. So when people start validating you and praising you for that, you feel better. You feel better emotionally because it makes you feel like a better person. So you feel stronger, you feel better about yourself and it starts to make you feel better. Even, and as you said, as you start changing some of the things that you're eating, right? and paying more attention to what you're eating, that can impact the way that your body feels as you start getting stronger, especially like in my case, I was never somebody that was fit. So as you start getting stronger, all of those things feel amazing. And you can ride really high on those feelings for a long time without really noticing the ways that it's destroying you, like the little ways, like the fact that you cannot ever stop thinking about food And your, and your, yeah, and your scale, you have to get on your scale every day to find out if you're allowed to feel good about yourself that day. And if the scale happens to move, you feel devastated. Like you don't recognize those little ways that it's destroying your mental health and, and dragging you down because you're riding high on the other stuff. And also you're blaming yourself for those things. Like when you fall off track you're blaming yourself for the fact that you fell off track and now feel like crap. Well, I ate that bad thing. so That's why I feel like crap because I fell off the diet. So it's my fault. The diet's making me feel amazing. As long as I can stick to it. And you blame yourself for the fact that you can't, instead of recognizing that it's a system designed to make you cave. And it's a system designed to keep you needing that validation and feeling like you're not good enough unless you're measuring up. So, the, the answer to that is yes, absolutely. You do feel better for all of the reasons you said, but also um, most people, mo- and I, I say this from my own experience in my own life, but also watching clients for so many years. Most people talk about all the amazing things that are happening when they lose weight and how great they feel and they're hiding the things that are going on behind the scenes. They're hiding the fact that they're binging on the weekends because they're embarrassed about it. They may joke about it. They may call it cheat days. Oh, it was a cheat day. Or, oh, it was a train wreck of a weekend. Back on track on Monday, right? So you may make light of it because you're embarrassed about it. You never admit it. And you don't admit what it's doing to you when you do fall off track. Because if you feel superior, if, you, if you're getting validated for living one way, what happens when you, you stop doing those things? You feel inferior. And almost nobody can stick to those things 100% of the time. So at some point, you're falling off and feeling inferior. And the more you fall off and feel inferior, the more it starts impacting your mental health and the way that you feel about yourself and the more inferior you feel, the worse choices you end up making for yourself. Self-punishing choices you know, with food and even with exercise. Because so many of us use exercise as punishment. I did yeah absolutely. So that's what I would say to that. And again, you know, I can't speak to anybody for the, the experience of anybody on your timeline, but anytime I hear anybody say, "I feel so amazing," my brain is instantly going, "Really? really?" <laughs> Do you really?" Because <laughs> I've been there <laughs> and And the <laughs> constant fear of gaining the weight back is right. always present. It is always present, and nobody talks about that either it is a non-stop fear of gaining the weight back and having somebody see you if you did gain the weight back and what they're thinking about you if if they see that
1: yeah and another thing that that popped up i was on a client call yesterday and she you know i was helping her create some outfits for um, a branding photo shoot for her and so she had been buying clothes for her branding photo shoot and You know, she said, You know, Amanda, I was buying all these things and I didn't want to get the next size up. I refused. And I said, Let's talk about that. And she quickly is like, No, Amanda, like, I talked to myself really nicely. I I (laughs) have my body. I, I, you know, I don't bash it. And I'm like, I I don't doubt you. Yeah. But you just had a belief that you refuse to go up a size in your clothes because it was a size bigger. So there's a belief there there's yeah. an that going up and being a bigger size is a bad thing. And you're going to refuse to do that. And she was just like, Oh, Oh, you're right. Like you don't have to hate on yourself. You don't you have, have to it. talk bad about yourself in order for diet culture to be insidious and make mm-hmm. its way the belief system and to have, Yourself, and and I and you don't even like I. Some of the people who hate on themselves the worst that I come in contact with are like the smallest people. Oh yeah, because anti-fat bias is so prominent. It's to me, it's like our internalized racism, our internalized misogyny. Yeah. That we have that we're not, you know, when Black Lives Matter exploded last year, it was this realization: all of our, you know, all of us white people are like, oh shit. I do have internalized racism. I didn't think I was racist, yeah. but because I'm upholding these systems. I am Right? Yeah. like you need to change these systems. And so just because, you know, you live in a smaller body doesn't mean you don't have anti-fat bias in you. I believe we all have it.
0: I, I've, in my experience, some of the people in smaller bodies have it even more. And they're in smaller bodies because they have so much fear over weight gain that like my mother, they're because they spending their entire life micromanaging every morsel and desperately trying to keep themselves at an acceptable weight. I remember um, a year or so ago, I was at a a, a, conf- a business conference. And this, this wasn't health and fitness. It wasn't a, like it wasn't it. It was just a random business, businesses with women in business and all all types of businesses were there. And uh, the conversations around food, like it, <laughs> it's everywhere. And I, I try to avoid it, but I was walking by the buffet table at one point over the weekend. And there was this very tall, elegant woman standing by the, the buffet. And um, I heard her say something to the woman that she was talking to. She said, um, oh, you know, I've really got to be careful this weekend. I gained four pounds just since we were here last weekend. And I just thought to myself like that it makes me so sad. It makes me so sad that so many women are living in bodies that they're scared of getting bigger. Like we're living in bodies we're scared of. And we're scared of food. And it's because we've been taught that we have to eat this, not that. And that this body's good, this body's bad. And it shows up so many ways for so many people, I, I read a, um, a a survey that was done, I think it was in 2008, that said uh, 75% of the women in the survey, U.S. women, had exhibited uh, disordered eating habits, patterns, thoughts, behaviors. 75%. We're not born with that. We are yeah. not born with it we're not born knowing how to not knowing how to eat we're not born hating our bodies we learn that from from the system and that's one of the reasons why it's so important to share our stories even the even the success stories like mine because let's get real about what's behind the success
1: See, it's funny that you call your you called yourself a success, and I don't think like, it's like to me, it's the opposite opposite of success.
0: Well, I call so- myself a success because on the outside, like that's what people call success. That's why, and that's why I do that because I I want to really drive home that this is what's behind what you what you're calling success stories. Every time you see somebody post a before and after photo going on and on about how much better they feel and how amazing life is now and, and you know all of this, every time you see that success photo, think about what the reality might be behind it because my story is not unique and that's why I use the word success with mine because I want people to start thinking about the way we're defining success when we see weight loss transformation photos because that's the reality behind most of them. When you see a weight loss transformation photo, the person that you are um, congratulating today, there is a 98% chance that person's going to be heavier, this, back to the same weight by next year and even heavier within a few more years. And also there is almost 100% chance that that person is terrified every day of putting the weight back on and obsessed with food and her scale and that's how she got the weight off. And so that's why I talk about that in terms of success, because that's the reality of weight loss success. And I want to change what we define as success.
1: Yeah. Well, I think this is... Oh, absolutely. Um, This is a good place to end it. Um, Yeah, we went long today. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we could talk all afternoon if we let ourselves. (laughs) I, I think we could pro- we probably covered like two or three topics in in this. <laughs> um, anyway, we will. I would like to talk. Our next slide to be about the pandemic mm. that has done to us. You know how we're interpreting that through our, our judgment of our bodies, and so. I
0: love this. I think this is, oh, I just got goosebumps. We definitely need to do this one. So I think that we need to talk about it from the perspective of coming out of the pandemic, potentially even with weight gain, especially as we go into summer, because I know that a lot of women are coming into summer, coming out of the p- pandemic, worried about weight gain, worried about smaller clothes. So I think we can really dive into this one pretty good.
1: Yeah. So I think we'll we'll talk about that next week. Um yeah. Because, you know, I'm seeing women bawling in their because mm-hmm. their clothes don't fit and they yeah. are realizing that shame. And it's yeah. un- so we will talk about that. Next. So thanks, Ronnie, again, for the wonderful chat. And thank you for anybody who showed up and got any part of this conversation. It was a lot of fun. So if you stuck with us, thank you for that. <laughs> yes. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Bye, Ronnie. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Being More with Ronnie Davis. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about embodied cognitive eating training and access free resources, visit www.ecet.online.